You've dreamed of building a family, but the journey hasn't been easy. I'm Dr. Laura Shaheen, a reproductive endocrinologist helping people build families every day. On our new podcast, Baby or Bust, we'll be learning from both reproductive experts and people who have faced challenges just like yours. Join us every week for Baby or Bust, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow us so you never miss an episode. SheFit. We know the fitness industry makes a lot of empty promises. We're done with shortcuts and quick fixes. No woman should be let down or held back, especially by her clothing. It's time to experience the only sports bra that's as strong as you are. Available in the widest range of sizes. Easy on and off, with 50% less bounce than the Nike Pro. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Today on the Zabecast, is the so-called Rich Paul rule really that onerous? One voice who covers college hoops says, nah, not really. Ronnie Thomas joins me today, and we spend a surprising amount of time talking, checks notes, tennis? That and the abomination of endless tin cup reruns on the Golf Channel. Your bonus, 40 minutes of me, is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! Oh, here we go! Thursday, August 8th, 2019. Thank you for downloading. As always, some mop-up and housekeeping before we begin. Lots of feedback, mostly constructive, some not so much, about my thoughts regarding mass shootings, gun control, and more. I tried to stress that I have no good answers, and I understand, I think, the strong arguments on all sides. And I think I tried to emphasize I have mixed feelings about various aspects of this awful modern phenomenon. But that wasn't enough. Some of you simply said, stay in your lane. Okay, fair enough. I understand your feeling there. I'm getting back into my lane. I just am a curious person, I think, by nature. And so even these awful, terrible problems in society... They keep me thinking at night. They sort of are like a puzzle. My mind turns over and over to think, what what could change the dynamic? Why why are these things accelerating? It's fascinating to me in an awful kind of a way, but it is very interesting. It tickles the interesting and interested part of my brain to kind of assess what it is. And I've read a lot of articles about the mind of somebody who would do something like this. And by the way, there's no solution. That's the other thing too. I just think about what could possibly disincentivize somebody from actually doing this. And the scary thing is, I think the answer is almost nothing. So then you got to look at what barriers and what roadblocks would actually work. And I'm interested in what A, can be done politically and what B, would actually work because doing stuff that won't work is worse, I think, than doing nothing. And the reason is if you do something that doesn't work, the righteous then get to claim, well, at least we did something. And everyone else who didn't like your particular fix, no matter what it is, are mad because your fix didn't work. And then people are less willing and less trusting of future solutions to try to 
give it another go and give it a different fix. But yeah, it's it's time to do something, absolutely, and I'll just leave it at that. And also, there was one of you that did say that bump stocks were essentially outlawed by fiat after Las Vegas. Uh, I don't know exactly the ins and outs of that. I do know, having seen one in action at a gun range and talking to people who know guns and shooting, they sound real scary and they're sort of kind of interesting in a gun sense, but they're not necessarily that much of a difference in terms of, I mean, you can get a few more rounds off, obviously, in a quick period, but the accuracy goes severely down using one of those. Another one said that these high-capacity magazines and these big drums, that they can all be navigated around the laws and there are loopholes and there are ways to change certain cosmetics of it and what the definition of a high-capacity magazine is varies depending on who you ask. And so, yeah, there's a lot to it in that regard. And with that, blinker on. Left turn, blinker on. I am merging back into my lane. Sports, sports, sports. Let's talk about the Rich Paul rule that the NCAA is now going to implement for agents who would like to represent college basketball players who want to maintain their amateur status in case they don't get drafted where they want to or if they want to re-enter college after going to the draft. The requirements, the new requirements the NCAA is planning to implement include a somewhat controversial one that every agent who represents said player must have at least a bachelor's degree from an accredited college. Well, 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 you would have thought this was the most dastardly thing ever, judging by those who are quick to cape up on behalf of LeBron James and his super agent, Rich Paul. Rich Eisen was one of them. You know who also didn't graduate college? Steve Jobs, Peter Jennings, Ellen DeGeneres, and so on. He actually added Ellen DeGeneres at the Ellen Show. Way to go, Rich. Imagine if people in their industries lobbied to make sure they couldn't ply their craft with some silly rule about needing a degree. Requiring Rich Paul to get a BA is BS. Brett Williams emailed me to say, I don't think it's caping up, Zabe, to bemoan the requirement of an expensive education with no good reason. If agents can pass the test to agent, let them do it. Okay, fine. Here's a couple things to remember. Number one, Jeff Goodman, who covers college basketball, says, this is really not going to affect any meaningful agency. Here's why. Yes, Rich Paul does not have a college degree. He's the exception, not the rule. Rich Paul has in his agency, Clutch Sports, plenty of other agents, don't think he's doing all the deals himself, who do have college degrees and then some, including, I'm sure, I would have to imagine he's got lawyers and contract lawyers as part of the agency, a full-service agency, but what do I know? So all they will do is that any marginal talent who's like, I don't know if I want to go pro or not. And that's also a small percentage of guys that actually test the pro waters and then jump back to college. Anyone who wants to get represented by an agent, they're going to be, they're going to somebody in rich Paul's agency, clutch sports will handle that account. It will not be difficult. Rich Paul will handle the Zion Williamson's of the college basketball world. 
So that's number one. Number two, hey, entities have requirements for shit that are sometimes dumb. Um, I forget, I read an article once that talked about the high barrier that the cosmetology industry has. Let me see if I can find this. Cosmetology high barrier to entry. To cut somebody's hair legally is anyone can cut somebody's hair and charge a price. But the the cosmetology industry realized, hey, to protect those in our biz, we've got to go and create all these certifications you need just to cut hair, which is ridiculous. You can't kill anybody with a bad haircut, no matter what you thought as a kid. But they, they make people who are licensed cosmetologists go through all these you know, hoops and ladders and whatever to be able to go ahead and, you know, get their license to make a living legally. Now people cut hair out of their house and on their back porch all the time. But if you want to actually have a business, that's a pretty high barrier. This happens a lot. It happens all the time. This is the NCAA essentially saying, look, we are an institution that traffics in and values college education. So we should probably require that the most minimal of them for somebody who's going to be an agent representing one of our student athletes. They also have to make you be certified with the NCAA for three years. And they also say that you have to undergo their testing, I guess once or who knows how often it'd be enough for rich Paul or LeBron James to go, not a big deal. We've got guys who can do this. And let's see. Will Rich go back to school and get a BA in anthropology? Mm, Checks bank account. No. I have $300 million in the bank. That's not going to happen. But no, if you're going to score points, you're going to score points. Everybody loves dunking on the NCAA. So when you can dunk on them and, and and flex on social media, that's exactly what you do. All right, let's check in with our man, Ronnie Thomas. Hello. Back on the Zabecast after an extended absence. How long have I gone since talking to you officially on the Zabecast? I don't know. I think it's been about three weeks. Well, it's long overdue. A lot of requests. Got to get Ronnie back on. (laughs) Ronnie is quickly becoming one of my favorites. I love it, by the way, when listeners rank the guests to me because everybody's rankings ron are a little bit different and for different reasons but it is great though which is fine i'm glad to be back on i enjoy it well good did you uh did you like the list of topics today and remember you can always at the restaurant chez zabe order off the menu and i will cook whatever you want as long as our kitchen has it in supply I, you know what I did like the list, but you know I was you know what I do want to touch on, and we can do it whenever. Yeah. This this past weekend, I spent a lot of time at the Fitzgerald Tennis Center in D.C. So you went to the City Open, our our ATP tour stop, which regularly attracts about zero star players in the game of tennis. I'm not going to say zero because all right, one or two. We get one or two yeah, stars. One or two. 
a year. This year we had Andy Murray, but he only played doubles with his brother. Uh, Why was that? Uh, he just did. He's rehabbing. Remember, he was gonna. He's pretty much taking the whole year off, but he wanted to come back and play a little bit. Okay. But uh, Kyrgios or Kurt, I forget how you say his name. Nick Kyrgios. Kyrgios, the bad. The, he's the. He is the bad boy of tennis. He's always getting violations, and he cusses out chairmen. And but he's really talented. But. Has the game of tennis gone to a point, Ron, where you can't have a modern McEnroe? Uh, no, you can't because of the social media stuff. But he, you know, he's really good at it, it being bad, because he, he does it in a subtle way. I watch quite a bit of tennis. I had never seen him, him in person. But he kind of, he's kind of endearing because he, he gets the crowd behind him a little bit because he talks to the crowd. For instance, <laughs> in, the, in the championship against Medvedev, uh, he walks to the baseline or beyond the baseline to the woman in the front row whom he had been kind of talking to the whole time. And he takes his towel and he puts it up to his mouth and he leans in. This is championship point. And Shut he asks up. Her, asks her where she wants to serve. <laughs> and you can see where she, she, he gives her options. And you can tell she says down the line, meaning not the center service line, but one of the alley lines. And I'll be damned if he didn't hit an ace to win. And he turned and looked at her and blew her a kiss. And you know, I, I, I the guy's did, great. He does. How did you he know? Hard on the chair umpires. He's definitely hard on the chair umpires. But I think it's one of those things where it just is part of his deal. <laughs> the way McEnroe was, it fueled him. It was part of his shtick. Uh, but this guy's a badass. 139 mile per hour serves regularly. 140 hit. Uh, by the way, what do you think the fastest serve ever hit? in professional tennis is funny we were talking about this the other day on the show because i say i said i remembered as a kid roscoe tanner used to yes. be the big cannon server on the men's circuit and i do, i didn't seem to remember serves above 120 but i think i was mistaken that even in the old days with the wooden don a rackets the big whompers could get it moving you know at a pretty high rate of speed they didn't really have radar cameras though in the 80s as I recall, uh, they have the radar guns, the jugs camera. Oh, they Those did back in the eighties. Okay, they've been around yeah. a long time. Okay, well, the, yeah, but he but was I, known I, as a big server. What is the modern top speed for serving in the men's game? One hundred and sixty-four miles per hour. Lord have fucking mercy. Beyond belief that it because the, the hundred and forty that that Kyrgios was hitting, you can't even see it. <laughs> and the ball boys and the the line judges literally have to be on their toes because if this thing hits you in the wrong place, you're in deep shit. <laughs> well, but the other thing too, the other thing too is that if you ever seen slow motion video of a tennis ball, as it hits the ground, it'll squish and slide. And so the notion of a shot, especially on a fast mover, like a serve being in or out, and you can tell for sure it's deceptive because super slow-mo will show the ball squishes and it'll sometimes slide across the line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I so, just, I love, I listen, I love watching tennis live in person. All I, right. I, so I hold on a second. This kind of blows my mind, Ronnie. I've only known you as a golf guy, my whole existence of knowing you. And I never yeah. knew that tennis was in your suite of delicacies that you actually enjoy. So where does this come from? Did you play tennis as a kid alongside golf? I played a lot. 
I played a lot of tennis, but you know, our lives, you and my, my, and mine and your lives intersect a lot and they parallel one another age wise. Yes. But we cared about the same stuff. We never missed a U.S. Open, meaning golf. Guess what? We never missed a Wimbledon. Oh, I no. can remember getting up and watching Borg and McEnroe <laughs> yes. and Connors and even into the Pat Cash era and the Boris Becker and the Yvonne And the Lendl. dreadful never... Yvonne Lendl era. I could not hate him enough. Of I'm course. like, you bore it, you big. He, right, he was drag, but with zero yeah. personality. And it was so hard to beat. That's what also pissed me off. I, I could not. Uh, I wouldn't miss it. And I, you know, I would. I, it was must watch. It oh yeah. In the morning on that Sunday morning, you didn't miss it. Just like you and I didn't miss the Masters and so on and so forth. And what it made me want to do was take my racket with my brothers and go out to our neighbors, a couple of doors down. God bless them because we were just so uh, persistent about you know, can we come over and play? Can we play? Can we play? And they'd always say yes. So, but I loved playing tennis when I was young, and I loved trying to imitate these guys and the mannerisms and everything but you know the competition to watch these guys there was not a better head-to-head viewing competition than watching these guys play tennis and it's just something and then growing up uh, as i always say in indianapolis we had the united states hardcore championships which brought a lot of great players including one renee richards that i used to get to watch <laughs> that's right <laughs> you remember her uh, yeah. yes uh but and so to be able to, and, and, you know, full transparency, we get to do it right. My buddy, Dan Zemring, who was my golf team member, a golf teammate at Maryland, who lives out in California, his sister, a 1984 Olympian in her hometown of Los Angeles, met her current husband uh, named Ross Schneiderman. Ross Schneiderman was the longtime statistician for Dick Enberg at, at NFL games, you name it, anywhere. Dick Enberg always would mention my personal star, my statistician. Thank you to Ross Schneiderman, the best in the business. Ross Schneiderman went on to become a producer of Olympic the segments where they really dig into the right. athletes. And now he is the executive producer of the Tennis Channel and so on. So wow. forth. therefore... I was in the Tennis Channel suite the entire weekend with my son and two of his buddies, and we were treated like royalty, and Jim Courier was in and out, and uh, Justin Gomstein was in and out, and just old-time tennis players, and it was to watch. First of all, we didn't have to sit out in the sun because you know, it was pretty hot. Oh, it always but, is. Uh, that, that event always is in the dead of summer yeah. here, and to go and to sit out in the stands – was for mad dogs and Englishmen, as my dad would say. Yeah, and uh, the last thing I'll say about it is the woman that won is the daughter of the Buffalo Sabres yes, owner. Pagula. Buffalo Bills owner, a, a, go, a gas, uh, natural gas tycoon. And sitting up in the suite with these folks, you know, you get to hear the inside word. And after she won, one of the former players turned and said, well, that championship only cost about $10 million. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning that's so how much good. money the Pagulas had poured into her training it, and coaching and everything else? Exactly. So yeah. it was, it, that, so that's not, that wasn't on your list, but it's something that's been on my mind. And, in fact, right up till the moment you called, I've been downstairs watching the Rogers Cup. Um, Karen Wozniacki and all of them are playing. Wow, man, I, I look at you! And, look at you in tennis. That's that's so fascinating. I mean, I think tennis right now is in a period where obviously you got the big three stars, 
but you, it would really help if one of the three was an American. No? No, it would. There's no doubt. You know, we thought that Isner was going to be someone, um, but we, we just don't have – we've got a lot of young American girls, the women, young women. We've got right. Coco and all these 70, 16, 17-year-old girls. McNally was at, in D.C., so was this Coco. Uh, we've got a lot of great young female players, but the male players were lacking a little why, bit. Why do we but, think it – like, here's what I don't get, Ronnie. I mean, to me, okay. Federer and Djokovic and Nadal – they could be Americans. They could live in Boca for all I fucking know. What do I care? Like, why yes. Why is it that you and I know that if there was an actual American who was as good as any of those three, tennis would be in a different spot right now? I don't understand that sort of, you know, sh- shallow-mindedness, I suppose, of the general sporting public. You mean the general American sporting public? The, uh, yeah, thank you. The general American yeah, completely yeah. shallow-minded. And, I mean, all you have to do is go to, uh, let's see, a Boston Celtics-Washington Wizards game compared to 20 years ago when there would be very few Celtics fans there. Now half the crowd because of Kyrie. Now whatever team Kyrie goes to, which he's already gone to the Nets, now guess who's going to be cheering for the Nets? When LeBron, I mean, he's oh yeah, fans, no, these homers. It's just so shallow. <laughs> I know. Um, but, the modern the but, modern fandom in uh, in American sports is now, especially in the NBA, it's been balkanized so that team allegiances are secondary. You have an allegiance to a player, and whoever is part of that player's power trio at a given moment in his career. Yes, I mean the Golden State Warriors. Who in God's name? Ever, even when uh, Hardaway was there and Mullen, who you didn't, no one rooted for him. No. All of a sudden, they're America's team. It's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Well, anyway, back um, to tennis. Looking, re- real quick about the tennis front. So I assume your suite was in one of the end lines because that's the best seat in the house for a tennis match. Uh, we were uh, we were about service line, and um, we had our own television, good food. So you had to. So you actually line. had to. You had to turn your head left and right because I thought those were the lesser seats. That at a tennis match, the most expensive ones were baseline, so you could just see straight down. The TV angle, in other words, were the best seats in the building. Well, they don't have. They don't have suites at uh, in the end zones. Oh. those are covered seats, so they don't have those. Got it. Plus, when you're far enough back, you don't do head turning. You okay. Can kind of periphery, peripherally, you can see everything. But you can see everything, um, but you can't quite see how a guy is moving his opponent side to side. You can sort of see it, but I think the angles are a little bit lacking. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. No, you're right. I agree. I mean, well, I like I to watch hockey. Any of that way. I like to watch hockey from the end lines because you sit behind one of the goals midway up the arena. You see all the weaving in and out and the patterns of the game that are really not very evident when you're sitting sideways. No, that's true. And I'm the same way about, uh, I I think that same way about NFL football, well, football in general. I go to the military bowl in Annapolis every single year. I sit in the first row right behind the end zone where the teams come in and out and part of the reason we the main reason we do that is because the medal of honor winners are walking around nonstop the amputee parachutists who bring in the american flags you know they stand right in front of us and we get to watch the teams come out like we got to watch virginia tech come out last year 
to uh, what is it the the song? I don't even know the the metallic. Enter Sandman. Yeah, out of the ta- out of the tunnel right there. But you can- the only problem with sitting there in the end zone is you can't see first downs. You can't see how far they're advancing the ball. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the tennis is great. Dave. I love these guys are freak athletes. They really are freaks. They're like six five, six six, and <laughs> six six rubber arms. They have cardio that goes for days and weeks at a time. And they've perfected all their strokes, all their shots, forehand, backhand. They don't have a weakness. Once was upon a time, even the top players in the world, you'd say, I want to work to his backhand or his forehand because it's the weaker of the two strokes. Yeah. I don't think that exists anymore. No, it doesn't. And they're all in academies. It's not like the like Becker's dad, if you remember, Becker's dad taught him on these shitty uh, right, courts. courts with grass growing up in, in Berlin or wherever they were, whatever right. Ger- part of West Germany or no, East Germany. I, no, I don't know. Whatever. But, but yeah, and the, and the, yeah, and the, they, and the Williams sister is to... growing up in Compton with her dad bringing a basket of balls out there and to the public incredible. courts. Well, now the new African-American stars, including Coco Golf, they're academy girls. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. We want kids of all colors to have enough money to go to an academy, but it's different. Right. It's different. And one other thing I'll say is when you know, when you and I and John Gould and John Ronis, whom we do the golf show with, when we were on the range at the Tigers tournament, whatever it was, at Avenel last yeah. year, yeah, and we were watching Jason Kokorak hit the ball, and I'll never forget your reaction. We looked at each other, and you said, "You have got to be kidding me!" Kidding. All right. Same way when I watch these guys, the sound. You know, I play tennis. I can play tennis. I can hit the ball. I can play golf. But I will never, in a million years, ever be able to hit a golf ball the way that Kokrak or Brooks or DJ. Well, it's the same way with tennis. It's that same sound. It's that squishing sound where you know you're in a whole nother arena yeah not greatness not only that but i played one friendly set in college at ucsb with one gal who was on the women's team and Uh my first thought was why why is the ball she hits to me so much heavier (laughs) than when my buddies and i go out it was literally a heavier ball off of her racket as a mere d1 college player of no note whatsoever than a normal guy i'd played tennis with and that's yep. sort of the level there. All right, let's talk golf. I texted Ronnie last night a text that is an ongoing pet peeve, if not more than a pet peeve, between him and I regarding one of our favorite channels, but one of our channels that vexes us to no end. That's the Golf Channel. Whenever Ronnie and I see the Golf Channel running one of three movies, Tin Cup, Caddyshack, Legend of Bagger Vance, or a fourth one, which would be the greatest game ever played. We text each other, and we mockingly say, Hey, Ronnie, quick, you might want to turn on Golf Channel. They're playing the Legend of Bagger Vance. It's rarely on. You might want to DVR it. Of course, it's a joke because they play those movies until the tape breaks, and then they tape it back together. So I'm watching the other night. I had it on for whatever reason, and it was Tin Cup. And it was the ending of Tin Cup. And I said, okay, I'm in for the ending. I want to see it one more time and just critique all the stupid elements of it. And the uh, movie finishes and Costner walks off and Renee Russo and her milfy-ass 45-year-old smoke show perfection when she was that age. I'm like, okay, that's great. 
I then turn around, I go do some work, and I then look back at the TV, and I see the credits for Tin Cup, Kevin Costner, Rene Russo, and I'm thinking, I'm like, wait a minute, they're not playing this again, are they? And I hit guide. Sure enough, Ron, they ran it back. Back to back. And I said to myself, you fucking cheap, lazy sons of bitches. You have a golf channel. You have millions of people who love the game. You've got no budget to do original programming just from 6A to midnight. And then overnight, fine. Run all of the square strike chipping infomercials you want. But for God's sakes, what are you doing, golf channel? Any idea? You know, well, I know what it is. It's irresponsible. It's, like you said, it's laziness, and it makes zero sense. This is one of those things where you cannot even begin to justify it or explain it because there is no explanation other than lazy, thoughtlessness, bullshit <laughs> with people who are running a channel who, I'm sure they may know a little bit about golf, but we've known, we and Steve, we've talked about this because of the personalities that are on that, the Ryan Burr and these and some of the other douchebags. You don't like... Nabilo, I'm indifferent. Uh, but, you know, the decisions that have been made at that station have not made much sense over time. Trip Eisenhower, Jim Gallagher, <laughs> Jr. Jim Gallagher, uh, Jr. is so terrible. He's all, and how about, and uh, the dude right now, Why I watch it every morning. Why can't I think of it with the, uh, with the gray streak in the middle of his hair? Oh, right. oh, right. Uh, yeah. See, I for- we watch him every day and we can't even name him. Well, they've the got. Black hair. Yeah, they've got a lot of talent on in the morning, and it's it's a mixed bag. There's some I like more it than is, others, but let me. It is a mixed bag. So my point is, you. So my answer is, is that it's thoughtless bullshit. I mean, who, with all the things that you could run and that you could do and that you could, you know. But then they they surprise you with Seve, you know, the movie that they run, which I'd rather watch that twice than Ten Cup. But it's the dumbing down of America. They think let's play Ten Cup, let's do it twice. People will love it. And then the other things like the Hogan specials and the Nicholas specials, they reel you back in with those. But then 10 cup, 10 cup. I've always said, Steve, why don't they do, uh, why don't they come up with their own programming, their own concept, and do a caddy show each week? You know, feature caddies and follow them on the road. These guys are a big, they're more characters than the golfers themselves. Well, that's that's the thing. The, The cheap programming that if done right, doesn't insult your intelligence is the model for it is right there in front of your face. It's what the talking head shows on ESPN and FS one do, but you do it with golf. And so you get some guys together and you talk about stuff that's going on and you let them have a personality. You don't get your panties in a wad if they say something mildly controversial and now you've got something to build on. But here's what I was thinking. Why hasn't the golf channel bought in bulk the rights to old tournaments and i'd rather see the 83 isuzu open finale with hubert green than another rerun of tin cup play that on a tuesday night if you've got nothing there are incredibly creative young content creators like no laying up and other entities you could essentially outsource programming and say look we're looking for half-hour programs, and we'll put it on our channel for – we're not going to pay you a ton, 
but you'll be glad that you're on the channel and guys will produce quality stuff that's different. They don't do it. No, they don't do it. Instead, they put into the computer, the programming computer, 10 cup. 10 cup, run it twice. Fuck it, let's do 10 cup one more time, back to back. I mean, are you serious? Especially when the FedEx Cup is leading up to it, when it... I mean, we're leading up to the FedEx Cup, which is supposed to be the biggest time of the year. Right. And the PGA Tour is wanting to finish up quickly because of football season coming up. And I mean, and you know what? There are so many athletes right now that are playing the game that are falling in love with this game. Oh, yeah. Uh, why, why not? I mean, have a round table. Song? Yeah. Have Andre yeah. Iguodala and Steph Curry. Smoltz. Smoltz. Right. Smoltz, uh, another yeah. one. Talk about what yeah. do you love about the game and, and how'd you learn and what there's a lot of things I could do. I just don't yeah, get it. Are. I mean, look, my solution is fire Nabolo, save his salary, which I'm sure is way too much, invest it into cheap, nimble, quality programming from independent sources, and for God's sake, take a year off from Tin Cup. Give me yeah. one year off of that movie. All right, let's talk FedEx Cup. So the FedEx Cup begins now. It's the playoffs. Uh, we talked about this on the Capital Golf Gang last Sunday. Most golf fans don't care about who wins the FedEx Cup. And I asked the question, well, how do we learn how to care? And I think you said, well, it's hard for us to care when the players don't care. I think the players care, but still, it's never going to be a major. Not in the same way. No, I think the players care, especially because it's a $10 million uh, annuity, which is will make anyone care. Uh, 15 but, now. Oh, it's 15 million. They bumped well, again, it up. It, yeah, then you're even caring more. Uh, I don't, I, I, I'd be interested to ask all of these tour players, let's see the top five, Kepka, McElroy, Kucher, Chauvelet, Gary Woodland, and then we'll move forward, Patrick Cantley, DJ, Casey Webb, Simpson, and John Rahm. If you were to ask those guys if they would rather have a major championship, uh, even the least well-known major championship, which would be, I think, the PGA Championship. Yeah. Would you rather have a FedEx Cup and fifteen million, or, or would you rather have a PGA Championship? What do you think um, they'd say? A PGA Championship, a major championship. I think. Really? Um, they all have so much money. So my point is, is I, I don't think that. Winning the FedEx Cup, it, first it, a PGA Championship, a major now pays what two million. It's great, you know. It's funny you say that because I was just looking at it last year. The number one major championship that this this year, of course, because we already finished it. Yes, which is ridiculous, and <laughs> it's August, and I've got no more major championships. But two point two five million for the okay. U.S. Open, two point zero five for the Masters was second. Actually, 2.07 was the Masters, and then the other ones were right around 2.0. So, and the uh, players was 2.6, which I found to be interesting. Really, That's a lot of money. Yeah, 2.6 for the players. Well, even though the Masters does pay a little bit less in money, you do get your own sarcophagus buried under the Augusta National Clubhouse when you pass away. <laughs> you leave this. This heavenly earth of ours to see our maker in the sky. So you got that going for you, which is nice. Um, well, but a FedEx Cup win, that's seven majors of money. I know. And that's a, and the way these guys like to spend money, that's a lot of money. Let me ask you this, Steve. 
do you think that the PGA Tour changed the or do you, do you think all the powers that be moved the majors up because of the fact that they didn't want to compete against football and lose the golf fan yes. to football? Or do you think that they moved it up hoping to get the football fan to watch golf? No, it's the former, not the latter. It is the former. Isn't I, it? I believe that's what their state that's what they stated they wanted to get out of the way of football. And I just don't think you're going to convert any football fan who doesn't play golf to being a golf fan just because it concludes in August. Especially Either, if Tiger Woods isn't in the hunt. Right, which we'll talk about in just a second. So okay. so this is this is gonna be the most exciting part of the Zabecast ever. Me explaining the new FedEx Cup formula. You ready? <laughs> Remember last year, Tiger won the tournament, the championship, but he didn't win the FedEx Cup. So it was him with Justin Rose co-posing for the photographs at Eastlake almost a year ago. 1.62 million. Right. By the way. So that now, that's not, now that's not going to happen, and here's why. So the top 125 make the playoffs, which is three weeks now, not four. It used to be four weeks for the playoffs, and you can miss a week and still win the whole thing. And guys would often take a week off because they usually don't play four weeks in a row. That's a lot. So it's three-week sprint, and it goes 122 to 70, 70 down to 30. You can get 2,000 points for a win, and so therefore you can really make a lot of moves – if you're far back in the standings. In theory, somebody who gets in at 125 could win-win and then win the whole thing, but it's going to be yep. harder. When we finally Kep- get... Kepka's, Kepka is at two point, or 2,887 points currently, just as a reference. And who's second? You can get. Who's second? Rory at 2,315 All right, points. so he's got a 500-point lead on Rory. And with 2,000 at stake for the winner of the first two events, there's a lot of leapfrogging that could happen. Okay, so we get to the final you know, tournament, which is the Tour Championship at East Lake in Atlanta, and it's only 30 guys, and they've done something smart for a change. They will, based on points, stagger the start. So the number one point guy will start at 10 under par, and then they'll go down from there to minus 9, minus 8, minus 7, minus 6, and then they say, okay, play golf. And so in theory, a guy could shoot a lower score in the four rounds on the golf course and not win because he started further back, but who cares? This will now let the viewer, you and I, sit back with a beer and go, okay, so-and-so's 15 under, he's got a two-shot lead to win it all. Yep, and what this is going to do is get rid of all the ambiguity that we had in the past watching, wondering who is what, when is what, where. And oh, who, they would have to have Steve Sands. Steve Sands would yeah. be like, I'm here at the calculation desk, and it looks like Mickelson may be able to win. It was ridiculous. It was a math- yeah. It was a mathematical exercise that made no sense. This is the or first Herschel smart thing the tour has done in a while, in a long time. Yes, and Horschel and Bill Haas didn't even know that they were had won the ten million. I know they didn't even know they had won. They knew they won the tournament, but they didn't know they were going to win the ten million. And one other thing, uh, listening to Brandel Chambly on Catrick uh, and McGinnis on tap on this t- SiriusXM PGA Tour Network, I uh, heard Chambly, who is I think is very smart and very good, 
um, he said that of all the FedEx Cup championships, which I guess we're back about 12 years now, this current formula would have only resulted in a different winner two times than who actually won the... Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, two times. Well, but... So. It, and that, to me, doesn't matter. What matters is what you see on the screen makes sense to the viewer, to the casual viewer, which is, oh, so-and-so is minus 12. He's leading. I don't care where he started. I don't care if he's not actually 12 under on Sunday afternoon based on his own ball. I don't care. So this is good to me. I, I agree. All right. I agree. All right. So that said, let me uh, get one more thing in from you. I want an old school Ronnie once a week, which is a weekly remembrance of one indelible memory from your youth, be it sports or life or whatever. Well, the obvious one that I could bring up is auto racing, but I have so many fond memories of my family being involved in auto racing and different things. But what I will bring up is How about this? How about is, the most heartbreaking loss that you experienced as a kid watching a sporting event, whether it was your beloved Hoosiers? Uh, I don't know who you lived and died with football-wise back in the day. Dallas Cowboys. When they oh. lost to the Atlanta Falcons and Steve Bartkowski, I believe it was, in the <laughs> NFC playoff championship game, I was on my way back from my grandmother and grandfather's home in Springfield, Illinois, and we had it on the radio in a van. We had a van, <laughs> and I bawled. I was sitting in one of the captain's seats, and I bawled. What year was heart. that? I don't remember the Cowboys losing to Bartkowski uh, and the I'm Falcons. Gonna, I'm going to say 81. One-ish, maybe okay. 82. Uh, but my fondest memory was winning the state championship in high school football, playing in the Hoosier Dome in 1987. I was the captain, and I had a good game, and that capped off a career of high school football where we never, my senior class of 88, never lost one regular season football game wow. dating back to seventh grade. What position did you play in high school? I was a tight end. I was a middle linebacker and I kicked with my square toe shoe. <laughs> so I'd, I'd play, I'd hopefully catch the touchdown as the tight end or block for the touchdown. Then my manager would run out with the shoe and throw it to me. And I had to, I always wore these high top black cleats cause I loved like uh, the way Johnny Notre Uni Dame looked and Penn State. How about Johnny Unitas? Oh, yeah, I loved high-top black cleats, and so I'd have to take this stupid fucking cleat off and then put one on, and with about one second left in the in the you know clock, I almost call it a shot clock, I'd have to have the ball snapped and kick it, you know, kick an extra point. But uh, and my my high school record was just broken last year, my field goal record of 44 yards. Some uh, soccer dude. Knocked 145 and got me, but it stood for 30 years. So That's I'm pretty good. That. You know what we yeah. have to do? We have to do this, Ron. Uh, you are, we have to kick together. We do. We have to kick. We have to kick on my football field this fall. You've got to bring your boy out, Winston, to run around on the field. Um, I want. I want that experience so badly. You were in my neck of the woods on the other side of the market, and you got to see the property for the first time and hit some golf balls. But you got to see the field when it's all painted. And because I have a square-toed shoe, I ordered off the internet. And because that's the only way I can kick it decent is square-toed. You and I can oh, go yeah. square-toe it. We'll video it and we'll put it up on the internet, and we'll have Perfect. a big fat laugh. 
and there is 100% certainty that I will pull a uh, muscle. What is it? A quadricep. A quad, you know, that, a that groin. Quad that gets pulled. <laughs> hey, uh, something about your boys out in Loudoun County. I don't know if you saw, but they're heading Loudoun to Little League tonight. South Little League World Series. Unbelievable. Going to Cooperstown. Or not Cooperstown. No, Williamsport. Going to Williamsport. Going to Williamsport for, the, for the big tournament in I Little League every Baseball. Every year with my son. We drive up. It takes about four hours, and I implore anybody listening to this that wants to have a sporting experience that is unlike anything is find your way to Williamsport, Pennsylvania. It's a nine-day of tournament. It's free. You walk in. The only money you pay is uh, snow cones and hot dogs. Well, that and they pass the can around, and they, you know, like any little league event, and you can just put a couple dollars or a ten or a twenty. Really, hot dogs are a dollar fifty. So, as big as this thing has become with ESPN televising it, they don't take gate. They don't collect five bucks at the gate. Not a not a dollar. You walk in and on the hill. Yeah, you can't get into the grandstands, and we go every year. uh, We go on the Sunday for the finals, and then that night is the Major League game now that they play at that old, old stadium. This year, I think it's the hmm. Pirates and maybe the Mets. No, the Mets were there last year, but you Wait can't get in. It's a tough ticket. There's two Major League teams that play at Williamsport every year? At the, It started, this is the third year for it, and they play last year. I, God, I can't remember who it was. I know it was the Mets, and they're does all the there game, the whole time. Does the game the count? The played at the, the AA affiliate, Williamsport, and it's like the second or third oldest stadium in the United States of America, and it fits about thirty five hundred, maybe four, maybe a few more. Than Holy that, shit! 4, there it, there it is and the they, the and, the Major League Baseball Little League Classic. How is it? I was unaware of this. Oh, it's it's so great, and it's on Sun. It's their Sunday night baseball. That's what they do. And does the game they count in the standings? Oh, totally! It's a real game. And it's, the only way you get to go is if you're a kid who's playing in the thing and family and then special people like Geico sponsors it every year. We didn't get to go. We tried like hell last year, but we, we couldn't get in. I tried every angle. But Bowman, Bowman Field. That's the name yeah, of the place. It's early 1900s. Holy shit. You know, I had remembered when they used to play a game at Cooperstown during Hall of Fame weekend. And the players' union bitched about it and said, we don't want to do this. And so they killed it, and I bemoaned it on the air. I was like, well, there goes another great tradition down the drain, thanks to rich-ass pampered athletes. But I'm glad to know that this thing now exists, and I'm kind of embarrassed I didn't know it existed until just now. That's That's why I have you on the podcast, Ronnie. You tell me things I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> but congratulations to the Loudon boys. We'll be up there. We're going to pull for them. They're tough. They're right. really tough. Very good. Ronnie, have a good trip to Indiana this weekend. We'll miss you on the golf show. Thank you, bud. Take, hey, taking my wife to see John Mayer uh, for her 40th birthday party, I, or 40th birthday present. I got her a meet and greet with John Mayer, and we're sitting in the front row, and we're very excited about it. That's on Monday night. So you gonna you going to take – Gonna take her home that night and play "Your Body Is a Wonderland" with candlelight no, going. Probably, she's probably gonna get left there with him. Saying, <laughs> uh, <I'm, laughs> I told her that's our swap. She she can have John Mayer one night, and I get Danica Patrick. That's our deal. There you go, done and done. <laughs> All right, Ronnie, we'll talk to you next week, you, brother. brother. Thanks. Take care. Bye bye. Let's end on this today. He's back. The only question is, how much of a push will he get 
from sympathetic media this year in advance of the football season. And by he's back, what, you haven't heard? Colin Kaepernick has tweeted out he's available to play quarterback in the NFL for anybody who may want to sign him. Okay, Uh, good luck on that. Listen, my stance has always been he is better than a good 10 or so quarterbacks currently in the league, either as backups or maybe he's better than the bottom five starters. Who knows? I, I would tell you he's way better than Colt McCoy, who could be the week one starter for the Redskins. At the same time, I will say that signing him would not be worth it for most teams because it will bring a massive amount of distracting media scrutiny to the point where that juice wouldn't be worth squeezing. He's better than some, but he's not that good. And by the way, a number of owners simply have an ideological interest in making sure they never let him play again in the NFL. Yeah, he has been blackballed by the NFL. I believe that. I also believe that a number of team owners can't in good faith hire him because they know their customer base and they know their customer base would rebel against it and it would be an economic loss for them to sign him to a deal. The two things don't cancel each other out. No side is necessarily right, but they can coexist. So Kaepernick sends out a tweet which said 889 days since being denied a chance to work and then it had a video, short video of him working out. It looks like he's in great shape. I just wonder, and I don't think he'll get signed by any team this year. I don't think there's a chance of that. I just wonder that given this is the first kind of peep we're hearing from Kaepernick and it's already August 8th, will he get the media push he's got the last couple of years? Remember, he sued the league, settled with the league, got some kind of payout. It might have been big. It might have been not so big. But he got a huge push from the media. Does the media have it in them? to get behind and push, push, and get the boat rocking back and forth again to say, this man should be in the NFL. What an outrage it is. When are these owners? I just don't know if I see it. I think that that ship may have sailed. I think that that record has finally played out, and I'm not sure it's going to happen again this August. But stay tuned. We shall see. And that will be a wrap for today. Thank you very much, as always, for downloading, listening, spreading the gospel of the ZabeCast. Make sure to get the ZabeCast app. It is absolutely free and gluten-free wherever you get your apps, either Google Play or iTunes. Thanks again. Download, subscribe to Fridays, which comes your way tomorrow. Subscribers, true one percenters, are with me to the last five bucks every month, and I do appreciate the support for the entire venture. Have yourself a great Thursday, everybody, and we will see you next time. Let me run around and put your car on cruise and lay back because it's summertime.